Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Napa know-how. At Napa Auto Parts stores and Napa Auto Care centers, get a $25 prepaid Visa card when you get any Napa automotive battery. It's the best deal for some of the best batteries from some of the best car people around. But we might be a little partial. Anywho, pick up any Napa automotive battery and save 25 bucks. Do it yourself or have it done for you. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores and Napa Auto Care centers. While supplies last, offer ends 83120. We begin today's meditation with a few sipping exercises to remind us a little treat can go a long way. So pick up your McCafe iced coffees, close your eyes, and deep sip in. And deep satisfaction out. <sighs> Take a treat retreat at McDonald's. Right now, get a McCafe iced coffee in any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price of participation may vary. Welcome to Collider Jedi Council. I'm Ken Napsok, and a new era begins. Before we dive into uh, all of the Star Wars world, I want to welcome all of our longtime listeners, any new listeners, and we understand we're realistic. We acknowledge there's a long, wonderful history of Collider Jedi Council with a lot of names that have come and gone that you love for good reason, because we love them too. But this is a New era, it's not a new direction. This is still the same show you love. It's just new faces, old faces, and a new approach, but also some of the things you love. Like I said, news, it's still here. Discussions, debate, all that stays. And don't think of me as your host. Think of me as that waitress robot, WA7, at Dexter's Diner, who just (laughs) wants to invite you in, have a seat, and offer you some Jawa juice, the real chefs and cooks of this Star Wars kitchen, the Dexter's Diner of the Collider world are sitting with me now, your new co-hosts alongside me, Emma Fife and Andres Cabrera. Hello. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank Emma, you for having me. Ace? Yes. We'll call you Ace. We'll call you Andres. We'll call you all things. <laughs> call me Dexter Jensen. And, you know, <laughs> Dexter, not? yeah, absolutely. there you go. That's, you want that to be your name? I'm, I was being, say, no, you're, I'm you're... being compared to one of my favorite Star Wars characters, Ken. I'll take it. <laughs> Great. <laughs> well, we start up top with uh, Dexter. Yeah. You love Dexter Jester like I do. Yeah, absolutely. We've talked about it before. Quick, why? What draws you to Dexter? I think he's just a really savvy, smart guy. Knows what to do. Knows things the Jedi Order don't. I mean, yeah. what's not to like? Yeah. Uh, we pitched a, a new Star Wars holiday special uh, one time over at Screen Junkies yeah. that featured Dexter Jetster as uh, the Ghost of Christmas present. There you Perfect. Go. You shouldn't like him. And I know a lot of people don't like him. Some yeah. good friends of mine, hi, Alex, don't like him. But I, I just, you know, it's, it's so over the top that you have to like it, which is why yeah. it's a warm, inviting restaurant. Mm-hmm. It's a diner, and that's where we're here. Emma, you've been with us for a while now. I have, Holding yes. down the fort, and I'm excited to have you here on a regular basis. I am so excited to be here on a regular basis. This is great. I mean, I, obviously... You are both people who I've worked with on and off for years, and it's really great to just like have a show that we're all doing together on a regular basis, and it's all about Star Wars. So. All about Star Wars, and Andres Cabrera, you yes. and I have talked a lot about Star Wars we off have. air, but on air over the Force Center podcast with Joseph Scrimshaw and Jennifer Landa and myself, and when we bring you on there, everyone just is like, hey, this Ace guy... 
he really knows how to dig deep and have fun with it, and that's why I think you're a great addition to this Thank team. Thank you, Ken. Yeah, I love Star Wars. I would love this opportunity to talk more about Star Wars. This is what I do on my daily basis anyways, so doing yeah. it with you guys, even better. And on today's show, we're going to be doing a lot of cool things. We are going to dive into the news. There's a lot of news, though. There's always that dip. There's that ebb and flow. Some weeks, like last week, eh, Benny Alphawise decided to take a walk, and we have a lot of things to talk about. Other weeks, it's sneakers and socks. Uh, this week, kind of in between, we're going to be diving into the news today. Absolutely, and we're also going to be talking about The Mandalorian, which premieres next week on Disney+, Plus, November 12th, so we're going to be previewing that. And to make sure that you guys are extra prepared for The Mandalorian, I am going to be guiding us through some deep Mando lore. I hate puns. I don't know why I did that. But we will have an introduction to Mandalorian history and culture. Uh, I saw a preview of what you're looking at. And and this is taken from everything. Legends and and canon and all the things. There's a lot of fun pictures. I love that uh, you're just like, hey, this is what I like to do. And uh, you've got some notes. I do. fun. The Mandalorian lore is going to be very important to the show. Uh, Also, what's important to this show and to whoever comes on, like I said, some of your old favorites, some of the pundits and guests that have been here before will return. And there's going to be some new people, some new voices that come in. And every time one of them uh, does come in, or there's someone out there like a celebrity interview, like Roland Emmerich comes rolling in for Collider Live. That's not a pun, right? That's almost a pun. It's like borderline. Okay. I'm not as as good as Emma or Makuga. (laughs) We're going to grab them and get their uh, uh, story on Star Wars. calling it your Star Wars saga. This is how you came to the franchise, what inspired you early on, what you love about it now, the specific little things that fuel your fire for the franchise. And I'm going to start actually with uh, you both here. Emma, you've been on, like we said, a lot. You and I have talked Star Wars mm-hmm. on Force Center as well, other places. You and I have even role-played Star Wars we together. We have role-played Star Wars put together. A pen in, put a pin in that. Okay. We're going to talk about that All later. Right. <laughs> uh, I want to know your Star Wars saga. What brought you to the franchise? So... I was a kid, uh, and the Star Wars movies had all already come out. I was born after Return of the Jedi uh, was released Mm. in theaters. How dare you? I know, I know. How dare you? Uh, And my parents were really into Star Wars. As a matter of fact, they both are pretty sure that they went to some of the Star Wars movies when they were dating, like before they got oh. married. Um, and there were some other family friends of ours who they they also were like in sort of the courtship stage, stage of their relationship. They were all young, working professionals with expendable <laughs> income. And so they would all go see Star Wars together. Oh, the 80s. Um, and, and that becomes important later in my story. But basically, yeah. so when I was a little kid, um, we had all of the Star Wars movies on Laserdisc. Uh, they came in a, we had, we had a couple different copies of them because like my dad is really into media. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we had like the original laser discs and then they did like a remaster one where everything except the first, uh, movie mm-hmm. yeah. were, they were such big files that they had to be on multiple laser discs. So it wasn't like you just watched the one and it, you know, half of it was on one side and the rest was on the other side. Like you had to flip the laser disc and then put in another laser disc for both Empire Strikes Back and for Return of the Jedi. Um, so I'd seen the first one, and then I remember watching Empire Strikes Back, and it was very scary to me because I was three years old at best. I mean, the Wampa attack to start it out was, with. It was, it was horrifying to me. Uh, and I made it through the whole movie, but I just remember being very scared and traumatized. Mm-hmm. And when you're three or four, as I was, 
the ending of the movie, it doesn't register to me that it's not conclusive and there right. needs to be more movie. Yeah, yeah. So my, when I was like four, my little bro, I remember because I was like hanging out in my little brother's room he, and he would have been a baby at this point. And so I like jumped out of his crib after playing with him and then heard the sounds from the movie room down the hall. And so I went to see what was going on in there and my parents were watching Return of the Jedi yeah. and I was appalled that they had not told me that there was more Star Wars. <laughs> How dare you. Uh, and so, yeah, that, that's, uh, hence I sat down and watched uh, the rest of Return of the Jedi. Fortunately, they were still at Jabba's Palace, so I hadn't missed much. Yeah, well, it's, it's, um, and then when they re-released all of them in theaters, we went with the other couple that my parents used to go see the Star Wars movies with and their children, we all went and saw the re-releases together. And then, of course, we saw all of the prequels together as well. Yeah. And so, you know, when I was little, um, we got... It was when the prequels came around that we got really into, like, collecting Star Wars action figures. And I got into learning more about yeah. sort of, like, the deep lore of Star Wars characters. Because um, do you remember those uh, action figures that they released for the prequels that came with those little, like... Data chip. Yeah, that's the main face. line. Yeah, yeah, the main line. You put them on, you play a quote. Yeah, yeah exactly. So I got yeah. really into like, oh, like I want to know more about these characters. And at that point too, they started releasing a lot of sort of like visual compendiums. Yeah. And we were really into coffee table books in my house. So that's a good choice. Yeah. Um, and then I think that when I really started to feel like solidified in Star Wars fandom was when I played the original um, Knights of the Old Republic on yeah. uh, Xbox. Yeah. Because I felt like now that I got to participate right. in Star Wars. Yeah. And that is what I really wanted. That's, that's who I am. I'm, I am a creative fan. I yeah. am the kind of person that like wants to immerse themselves in the world. Galaxies I just made specifically for people like me. Right, um, right. And the history, like the fictional history, that's the kind of stuff that I love about Star Wars. Yeah. And I particularly love uh, the stories of the rebellion and the whole idea of basically just these regular people who are fighting against oppression and trying to do good in the face of a totalitarian government that's mm -hmm. taking away people's rights. Uh, yeah. Sound familiar? <laughs> uh, and yeah, so, but I also like really, really got into Mandalorians for, for reasons that I'll get into. Uh, which is why this is a great thing yes. for you today. I love that. Yeah, I was, I was trying to pull up the exact quote that uh, Harrison Ford, when he does the, uh, he does the trailer for Empire Strikes Back, mm. and he, he has a quote. First, there's a great quote that, uh, that he talks about. Uh, They'll cross trackless voids to uh, un unknown worlds. And the next one, he really, uh, he says, it's a galactic odyssey against oppression. This is in 1980. I was yep. like, yeah, that's that's correct. That's the thesis statement yeah. of George Lucas's uh -huh. Star Wars right yeah. there. So <laughs> fascinating. I love the immersion. I love how uh, you love being surrounded by it, mm -hmm. and, and and that uh, led to a lot of what you did yeah. did on pencils and parsecs. Yeah. And we're talking about that great Star Wars saga. <laughs> and I love the, the the different entry point. I'm fascinated with the different entry points into Star Wars for people. I had a conversation with someone at a live event. They're like, I never saw Star Wars until the Clone Wars cartoon. That's and it's amazing. Like, that's what's got to be. I love that. Be, it's just it's part of this ever expanding. Star Wars lore and your uh, Star Wars saga, Andres, uh, is equally as different and wonderful too. Absolutely, yeah. So my first introduction was the VHS re-release, I believe, in '97. Yeah, that sounds about '97. Yeah. I believe it was what it was, and that introduced me to obviously the traditional OG trilogy, where we got the Luke Skywalker, the Han Solo, and the Darth Vader. 
right away fell in love. Right away was like, Darth Vader is my homie. This is what I have to do. Um, And Return of the Jedi really hit me hard as Mm. a kid because just that idea of like, this has been the villain the whole time. And it's like, oh, no, he can be a good guy. That's incredible. But what really dove me into the Star Wars universe, and I can't lie, part of it is experience, right? Because that's goes hand in hand with Star Wars is having that event type experience. And for me, it was a 1999 opening night, yeah. midnight screening of The Phantom Menace. Of course, and it was, I was great. <laughs> I was literally like, I was a kid. I was eight years old. I went to the screening uh, and it was actually midnight. So it yeah. was really, this is the first time I'm staying up past staying my up bedtime. Yeah. yeah, I went with my dad and it really was love at first sight kind of thing, especially, and I, obviously a lot of people have the same feeling, especially when Darth Maul the door is open yeah. out comes out Darth Maul and yes. just my heart just bursts open and I'm like I'm in love this yeah. is incredible <laughs> this is like the greatest moment of my life we see the duel of the fates come up and yeah. we see the epic battle and it's it really was just an incredible feeling and that's what I took with me through my Star Wars fandom yeah it's mm. so funny. I think you and my brother are the same age or you're mm. very, you're like maybe one year apart. And he also just was like so into Darth Maul as a kid. There was something Loved about it. that character. Darth Maul, Darth Vader. Are you attracted to the dark side of the force? <laughs> I, I, mean, I mean, we're all wearing black right now. Yeah, I that, thought I was going to be the only one. We did not plan that. I was like, I'll be the only one wearing black. Kinda, we're trackless voids yeah. in unknown yeah. worlds <laughs> no. right now. Yeah. But yeah, I always love the dark side. I had the Darth, Mater, uh, Darth Maul lightsaber. Yeah, yeah. And I would yeah. want to fight everyone. I would want to fight like three people yeah. at once. I'm like, I can take you all on. <laughs> Just well, walking down Because I, I remember when yeah. we were, my brother and I were, we both had our own save files of Knights of the Old Republic. And I yeah. remember, of course, I was like, I have to be light side. I was like yeah. trying my best to go down a good path. And my brother's just like killing everybody. Yeah. <laughs> it's all about choice yep. in Star Wars. But yep. the prequels have, obviously have a really yeah. soft spot in my heart because of the age I was in when I saw them. And even going back and rewatching them, I still think there's a lot of great, not mm. good, great in there. Yeah. And uh, Attack of the Clones came out, Revenge of the Sith. All those movies helped impact my life. And going back and rewatching the originals, they all still have the same thematic elements. And that's kind of why I've always taken my Star Wars fandom. And I've always appreciated every Star Wars movie that's come out since mm-hmm. because of every thematic element it's trying to say. And, and at the end of the day, that's what George Lucas was always trying to do, mm-hmm. was trying to say something in each and every one of his movies. And I love that's what Star Wars does yeah. to this day, even with the new trilogy. Yeah, absolutely. There's going to be things you don't like, things you don't sit well with you and everything, but but you can always dig in and yeah. find, find what's there. And also, I always say, have a little fun with Star Wars, too. Don't forget to laugh at it. And there's a lot of things to laugh at the prequels that, I mean, the, but we fall, like Dexter. Dexter, but that's the thing. <laughs> that, Dexter, you're like, but... it's a 1950s uh, Mel's Diner chef, and suddenly yeah. you're like, I like him. And yeah. he has a mustache. Uh, thank you for sharing your Star Wars sagas. Uh, it's not something we're going to do uh, every week with us here at the desk unless someone new comes in, but we figured, uh, you know, what a way to start the show to get to know your uh, co-hosts here on Jedi Council, but we are going to go into uh, the segment you all know and hopefully now will love Star Wars news. That's right. Just the news. This is all things Star Wars news that's uh, fit to talk about movies, TV shows, and Emma, what is up first for us today? Up first, we have got the latest Mandalorian trailer. Would we call it a trailer? It's more like a teaser. Reveals new footage, but still keeps the plot Pretty secretive. We get a lot of shots that are reminiscent of things that we have already seen before out of the show. We get to see some new aliens on screen this time around and also get interesting quotes such as, I've only heard tales of the Mandalorian. I've never met 
any of you before. Ken, do you think that they are keeping the plot of this show extremely vague on purpose? Very much on purpose because I think this show is being sold as a Western, and I think it is. It's being sold as a gunslinger going through town. I think it is, but I think that's the starting point. And I think it goes into somewhere totally different, and we're going to dive into those themes, of course, in a bit. But that's why I think they only have so much they can show. And also, I, I think Favreau uh, is just kind of that old school guy. I'm just like, hey, give, give him a little taste. Give him a little mm-hmm. taste. Like, I, I just had a cupcake on Collider Live. Mm-hmm. That's a little taste. Now I want the whole uh, six-pack of cupcakes, and I think that's what's going on here. Ace, do you think that being so vague in the marketing is a mistake, or is it going to pay off in the long run because people are going to be intrigued and want to show up to find out what it's actually about? Literally the same thought was on my mind was that idea of this is great and it's amazing for us Star Wars fans but will it get people to sign up for Disney Plus? I I, I think it will because I feel like this trailer is another example of how I mean the word cool always thrown around but cool this looks so cool (laughs) it's kind of hard not to just give it a shot but it's interesting because the amount of information we have is so limited Mm -hmm. that it's like we don't even know this guy's called the Mandalorian we don't even know his name and I feel like there's a line in the trailer where uh, Ming Na Wen's new character says, "Your name will be legendary," and yeah. it's the irony of like we don't even know this guy's <laughs> name. <laughs> yeah. Do we? Feel, I know we we're, we're in a Star Wars bubble just as fans, but we're also in a, in a bubble that we live and work in Los Angeles. It's true. And there's a lot of billboards around. There are a lot of. Billboards. I don't know if that's around or if it's just thrown up here. I don't know. Tweet at us and let us know if you've seen a Mandalorian billboard <laughs> yeah. in your town. Yeah. Tweet it with hashtag Collider Jedi Council. Yeah, that'd be. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see now a whole collection. We'll put that up next week. A whole collection of people like, yes. yes, take a picture with it and send it to us. We'll yeah. share it on the show. That'd be great. So, um, and the streaming wars are here. We know this. The industry is changing yeah. dramatically. Even last Monday alone, just a lot of things started to change. I'm still bitter about my PlayStation View going away in January. I don't know where I'm going to watch Ghost Adventures now. <laughs> um, I have to figure it out. But Ace, uh, you brought up this point. Uh, I mean, do you think, other than just, hey, cool, it's Star Wars, do you think that's going to work for the streaming wars? I think it will. So so what, what uh, streaming platforms try to do is they try to get property, IP, that's exclusive to their own stream. Uh, we see um, Twitch streamers now jumping ship, mm-hmm. too. We mm-hmm. see this with any streaming platform. Exclusivity is what gets you to sign up to a certain platform. So if I say I have this show and you can only watch this show on my streaming platform, that's what's going to get people to sign up. And they're putting all their marbles in a basket for The Mandalorian, which is kind of an interesting idea because it is a Star Wars show, and it seems a little bit more niche than other Star Wars fandom. Um, but there's already other streaming platforms who are doing this. But the thing about Disney Plus is that they're doing this not just with Star Wars. They're doing this with Marvel. They're doing this with the Obi-Wan show. Yeah. Will this? I guarantee Disney Plus will be a success regardless. But will the Mandalorian be the one to get everyone to jump in right away? Or will they wait for Obi-Wan? Or will mm. they wait for uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier? Whatever Marvel show, what, what show is going to get people to sign up right away? Yeah. And that's my mm. I don't, question to you guys. Will yeah. this be the one show that people I, sign I up right away? Disney Plus is in this really interesting sort of bubble in that Disney already owns so much IP and a lot of stuff that has been difficult to come by older stuff that is now going to be on the Disney Plus platform. I mean, I'm excited to watch, you know, stupid things like the 1960 version of Swiss Family Robinson. You know, that that's the thing is that is Disney has so much yeah. in that catalog that is launching along with the platform that 
I think you're going to have a big chunk of people sign up just for nostalgia. So they're mm-hmm. almost mm-hmm. in this really nice position of being able to create all of this new Star Wars content for Disney Plus because they're banking on the fact that people are going to sign up that actually have no interest in Star Wars at all. Mm. Yeah. Is it risky? Uh, without a doubt. Uh, I, I will bang the love of Star Wars, uh, bang that drum all day. But we can't deny that in the last year or so, it's, it's, not, it's not Teflon. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're starting with this. This is maybe designed to bring in some of the fans who've been disappointed over the last couple months uh, and years. Um, going back to 2017, uh, that, that, that exists. Mm-hmm. There, there are those fans. Um, Marvel is a little more Teflon right now in terms of numbers and, and sure. overall appeal. Like, wouldn't leading off of the Marvel show have have made more sense or am i just reading too much into it or this just might have been ready at the time like yeah this is first out of the gate i I was gonna say i think this is just a first out of the gate because it is it's interesting to me in some ways now that we have got confirmation that there is going to be an obi-wan series that it wasn't that that was ready first just from the perspective of we know that there has been development around that property for a long time, whereas this sort of came out of left field in a lot mm. of ways. Um, yeah, it is. It's interesting that they're leading in with a Star Wars title, but I, I do. I genuinely think it's like, yeah. well, and, and especially, too, when you look at the fact that you look back at, like, the original trilogy of Star Wars and in terms of where Star Wars is going with its live-action content, it's getting a lot more back to that feel of kind of doing practical effects. And so it feels like in a lot of ways, there's a lot less post you have to do on this. Mm -hmm. So it's not surprising to me that this was ready before, say, a a Marvel property that is Mm -hmm. very heavily reliant on on your sort of visual effects and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, I think Emma made a great point too. We have to realize that Disney isn't just Star Wars and Marvel. It it might be Mm -hmm. for us, but there's a lot. And I mean a lot as a brother who I know has a lot of kids who have parents who just get streaming to give mm. it to their kids and be like, here, watch this go away for Babysit. four hours. Yeah. <laughs> and Disney has a lot of stuff for kids. That's very true. And Netflix always kind of struggle with that because Netflix has their kids section, but there's a limited amount. But now Disney Plus, it's like, you can't run out of kids stuff on Disney Plus. Which may be important because the FX spot confirmed that The Mandalorian is going to be rated TV 14, which mm. means that it's friendly enough so, for a younger audience. What does that mean? Some, uh, some slicings, <laughs> some, some dicings. Sli- yeah. yeah. Maybe a Mando they, butt in was, there. One oh, butt. Is one butt I, allowed I, in one, TV one 14? Butt, just one butt. We don't, see, we don't see his face, but we see his butt. It's I, like the guy doesn't take off his mask, I mean, but he takes off his pants. I wouldn't be mad. <laughs> <laughs> Pedro yeah. Pascal, the gauntlet has been laid uh, down. No, yeah. no, no. Uh, but yeah, so no, TV 14, yeah, they, it, I think they're allowed like one F-bomb and I mean, I think there were a lot of people that were maybe possibly hoping for an even, like, a T... A T they were never going to go TVMA on this. But, no, Ken, no, what no. are your thoughts on the, the TV14 rating? Look, I, I think there's room for it. And, and, and here's what I, We always hear, you know, the old thing of Star Wars is for kids. I think that's misunderstood a lot. Yes, sometimes it is for five-year-olds and Jar Jar steps and poop. Yep, mm-hmm. that's maybe more for kids. Or what you spoke about, seeing the prequels at a younger age and it's taking in. But I think, George, what that means to me is George is, is presenting these tough moral choices and dilemmas to the younger generation. He always focuses on 12-year-olds and saying... Hey, uh, I'm not talking down to you. No. I am saying you're going to have to choose. You like Darth Vader. Guess what? He had to choose. And you, young man, have to decide for yourself at one point. That's what it means for kids. So aging up a little bit is, is, is it's not appropriate. Also, what TV 14 now is, uh, you know, it's, it, it's, it's, it's probably not 
as bad as what they see on the playground. That's exactly it. I mean, I, I'm sure Emma and I can agree on this. We grew up in a time where, like, we saw some stuff that, I mean, when we were yeah. little, we saw some stuff that we probably should have been. We were fine. Yeah. I like, mean, we the, grew up fine. Yeah. So for my generation, I drank, I drank straight from the water hose. I'm not dead yet. Exactly. But for you, you saw more serious well, what, I guess things. what I'm saying is, like, people really o- over-exaggerate, like, mm-hmm. protecting the precious eyes of children. When, yeah. when, like you said, like, kids nowadays, like, yeah. this is nothing. TV yeah. 14... Uh, means yeah. like yeah. you can be little. means like five. You yeah. Can be, <laughs> you yeah. can be a little kid right. and watch You'll this. Be right. You'll be fine. Uh, that's just yes. the first look. And we still got it a lot is. of Mandalorian coming uh, in the preview section here. But Ace, we got another story about Mando. Absolutely. So finally, we get to see the first look at Ming-Na Wen's character of Fennec Shand uh, via Vanity Fair, um, telling us that this is a new character that we yep. didn't get to see before. She is a sharpshooter. She is an assassin. She seems to be some sort of villainous kind of role. Uh, not sure yet what her position mm-hmm. is with the Mandalorian. Uh, but they say in this article that she was named after the Fennec Fox based on her survivalness or gracefulness or agile, stealthy, trickiness kind of mm-hmm. attitude in her character. The biggest question that people have now is the Kanja Club connection, which yeah. everyone loves Kanja Club. Um, <laughs> And it's the idea of her being related to Krennic Shand, yeah. who is a member of Kanja Club, who's actually one of the guys from the Raid, yeah. who I'm the biggest Raid you, fan. You are here. a Raid I'm fan. an actual martial arts fan, and this guy's one of the greatest martial artists like yeah. alive today. Um, so is she related to Kanja Club in some way? Does she have a relationship to this? Or what do you guys think? I think that this is one of those scenarios. One of the thing that, things that they do really, really well in Star Wars, I feel, is not assuming that their audience has consumed every single piece of Star Wars media. That's very specific to the films. In this situation, this, this could be like a nice little tie-in to the film. Uh, you know, age-wise, who knows what their relation is. She could even just be like a cousin or something, yeah, but yeah. it wouldn't surprise me if if there was some kind of vague relation more in the category of, of well, I, I mean, it could go either, either way. It could be Easter eggy or it could be, we're going to expand a little bit on this character who really was just kind of a one-off appearance in mm-hmm. um, uh, Force Awakens. Yeah. I'll throw it right back at you. Uh, uh, the galaxy being large and the galaxy being small. Uh, with this character, Fennec Shan, uh, and this connection, like Emma just said, I think it's a great point. It could just be some uh, Pablo Hidalgo visual dictionary that you flip through. Oh, they have the same name. Or in, And I don't think season one, she's a major character. No, she was cast so. after. I think some of her stuff, she's not VO. She's not in a mask. I think it might have been shot later on. Uh, and and we, we, I think they even kind of peg where she is coming in, in the show midway through or something like that. But season two, three, whatever, uh, and she could grow into maybe she's in charge of the Kanji Club. Maybe she founds a Kanji Club. I was going to say, what if yeah, she found you interested cool. in that? Are you guys interested in that? Or is it sometimes like, ah, it's too small of a galaxy. They're all circled around. Uh, sometimes the debate on either side, I can't follow. Yeah, I, I feel like I go either way. It's one of those things where it, as long as, it's something that they've addressed in terms of all of the discussion leading up to the Mandalorian, that we are going to see the beginnings of the First Order. It's Mm -hmm. very well established that by the time we get to uh, Force Awakens, the First Order's been around for a while. That doesn't mean we're going to see the First Order form. It just means that we're going to see, like, bits and pieces of how it came together. And I I think that as long as it's treated in that way and it they're not like hammering home like haha this is how Kanja Club was founded yeah. I'm good with it 
Yeah, yeah I, I, like I think that. I think it's fun, man. I think w- when we get to learn about crime syndicates and we get to learn about maybe that's why I cater towards Solo a little bit, but even Emphis Nest or other characters like that or Crimson Dawn, like Conja Club is another example where I think it's a cool little Easter egg for fans. It won't take layman fans, fans who probably don't follow canon as much, out of the story. It's not going to be they're not going to be confused, and it gives us fans who do know. A little bit of an Easter egg. So I think it's good on both sides. It doesn't take away from the story. So I say go for it. Yeah. What are you expecting from Ming-Na Wen? You're a fan of her work, obviously. Yes. So I happen to be. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Shout out to Dorian Parks and I. Happen to be the biggest Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. fan there is. I still think it's one of the best superhero shows on TV probably ever. Um, It's a great show. And her character in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as Agent May is one of the best characters. She's so good in action scenes. Like, she really sells action scenes so well and that's actually hard to do so i've been a fan of her for a long time uh but what's great about the description of her character based on this article is that she's a sharpshooter and i love the idea of having like a crew like whether it's a bounty hunting crew where each person has their own special abilities oh. special features yeah it's like a D party but D&D with party. Uh, yeah. bounty hunters i go back exactly. to uh one of my favorite animes of all time ghost in the shell standalone complex mm-hmm. there's a character named sato who's the 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 basically the sniper the, sh- the sniper mm-hmm. shooter and having a sniper in a crew that's determined to like hunt people down is the coolest thing yeah. ever I, as someone who's seen a lot of animes that featured sato doing something really cool just the idea of her kind of being the one behind the scenes and being on the lookout and being the sharpshooter, the sniper, is already sounds like yeah. the coolest thing ever. So I'm, I'm super excited. She has some action chops, like you said, which is something... She's so good. Favreau, uh, I believe Favreau said when, when it, her casting was announced recently, like, we take full advantage of all her skills. Her skill set isn't just uh, acting, it's, it's action acting, which she is... She is, yeah. and she's real good at it. She's good. Yes. Good, getting some fights. Maybe yes. she takes on uh, Mandalorian. Maybe know. she does. Yeah, know. she's false and tricksy though. Yeah, <laughs> false. I love. And I love a good morally gray character. <laughs> Absolutely, we're going to uh, dive in more of that uh, when we look at the Mandalorian in a bit. We'll close out the news segment here with a couple bits about Carrie Fisher. Uh, we know our general, our princess, will be featured in the Rise of Skywalker uh, with some new technology, a new way of, uh, of doing it, uh, taking old footage, reworking it, reverse engineering, as her brother uh, Todd Fisher said. And there was a, an article that came out, I'm reading from Yahoo, uh, and he talked about how J.J. is working from eight minutes of footage, but come back to that there, um, and that... If she had not passed, uh, tragically, we know December 27th, 2016, uh, episode nine was going to feature her a lot more. In fact, he kind of indicates that she would have been kind of the last Jedi and how people who always wanted to see Leia with a lightsaber might uh, have finally got to see that. None of this is, is necessarily fact. It could be old scripts. It could have been Trevorrow's script, for all we know. A lot did change. Um, but uh, it, it is, uh, you know, it, it's, we all know it's a tragic loss, but we're, we're going we're gonna to get something with this footage here. Uh, and then followed up with that, we'll, we'll put this all together, Billy Lord, her daughter, who, of course, appears in uh, Star Wars, uh, the, new, the sequel stuff, sequel saga trilogy as Lieutenant Connix, uh, wrote an essay published in Time magazine, and it is, it's great. It's kind of uh, emotional, tear-inducing. Uh, uh, tear and Billy Lord uh, came out at Star Wars Celebration 2017 on Orlando um, after they did a tribute to her mother, which was very moving, and she just spoke with such composer, composure and grace. 
and just, I mean, she's transitioned into acting. I didn't realize Force Awakens was her first go at it, but she is uh, a deep soul, much like her mother. Mm-hmm. The two quotes we'll read here, then we'll talk a little bit here about Legacy of Leia and what we might be seeing in Rise of Skywalker. Billy Lord writes, and I'm reading directly from Time Magazine, I realized then that Leia is more than just a character. She's a feeling. She is strength. She is grace. She is wit. She is femininity at its finest. She knows what she wants, and she gets it. She doesn't need anyone to defend her because she defends herself, and no one could have played her like my mother. Princess Leia is Carrie Fisher. Carrie Fisher is Princess Leia. The two go hand in hand. She talks in the article about how, Carrie, uh, how, how Princess Leia was kind of her stepmother in a way <laughs> and how she um, came to accept it more. And then she used to say that, that in the original movies, she got to be, quote, the only girl in an all-boys fantasy. But with each new Star Wars movie, the all-boys fantasy started to become a boys and girls fantasy. She was no longer a part of a fantasy, but the fantasy herself. Leia was not just a sidekick. One of the male leads uh, had his his arm around, or a damsel in distress. She was the hero herself. The princess became the general. So that's, I think, a lot of people's feelings, Emma, about uh, Leia and Carrie Fisher. It's definitely my feelings about Leia and Carrie Fisher. I mean, as a kid watching Star Wars, I mean, that's exactly what it was. Like, she was the one woman in this story that was populated by men but was very very much about her I mean even George Lucas has said that he wanted Leia to be at the center of the story of the rebellion the story of the rebellion is Leia's story and he wanted her to be this young strong woman who in the end of everything ends up at the head of it continues to be leading the resistance into the sequel trilogy and it's so amazing that because we set the bar so so high with Leia being Star Wars first like lady hero mm-hmm. um we've gotten so many amazing women characters following in her footsteps and yet even with that for me she has never been surpassed mm-hmm. and yeah, I yeah. I adore there are so so many incredible women in Star Wars I I mean like Harrison Dula in Star Wars Rebels is one of my absolute favorite Star Wars characters of all time. Ahsoka Tano has one of the most interesting and rich character arcs of anybody, and yet still I hold Leia above all of them. Well, yeah, that I, I don't think a lot of people can disagree with that. Mm-hmm. Even people who have you know read yeah. or been exposed to new generations, Leia is the standard bearer. Yeah. Uh, what, can you can you pinpoint at all why even just you feel that? Oh my gosh! I mean, when I when like watching the movies. As a kid, you know, she she comes in and she has this, like, long white dress on. Yeah. And then, like, she immediately is just, like, trash-talking. Uh, Into the garbage chute, flyboy. Exactly. Boy. And then, you know, when Luke shows up to rescue her, she's totally not impressed. And then <laughs> she's the only one who can shoot any stormtroopers, you know? So it just, I think it was because it came right out the gate of going, oh, this is a world where men and women are treated equally Mm. and there's even though they've shown up to rescue her no one's trying to stop her from Mm -hmm. taking charge of her own destiny yeah absolutely uh there there is a little bit of a princess in distress for it's it's put there in new hope a little bit of the time but also with the marketing sure that quickly goes away goes away right away aren't you a little short for a stormtrooper yeah it's like all right let's do this yep I mean, you you could even say it's almost like a a satire on that, where that's Mm -hmm. almost like 
he's taking that idea of princess in distress, princess, mm-hmm. you know, save the princess in the castle kind of idea and flips it on his head yeah. and turns it that she's <laughs> actually saving Han and Luke by, by yeah. the end of that movie or by the end of that scene in the movie. Yeah. Uh, even rewatching the original trilogy and you go back and rewatch it, I, I see a lot of film documentaries and, and I follow George Lucas as far as film, what he's mm. given to Hollywood, what he's given to film, how he's changed uh, film culture in general, whether that be with digital, whether that oh, yeah. be with CGI, with ILM. But this might be his greatest legacy and that's giving us a female character that all her attributes were flipped on its head and and she's kind of the one who's the smart one the quick one yes the quick-witted one the funny one the one that's saving the day that's a a, a lot of credit obviously to carrie she she delivered that role but but george gave us that character and that might be the greatest thing Mm -hmm. he gave to hollywood because it inspired people like james cameron to give us Mm -hmm. his female characters or other directors to kind of give us that Princess Leia kind of vibe. Yeah, and what's so important about Leia, and it's something that um, Billy Lord does touch upon in her article, is that she managed to be this figurehead, this incredibly compelling, interesting, strong character without being stripped of any of her feminine aspects. Mm -hmm. Like she... Because... Too often, you have your sort of generic, quote-unquote, strong female mm-hmm. character. It's exactly what Tariel, that character they added um, that, uh, the uh, yeah. yeah, to the Hobbit films, uh, that, that was her issue. Like, they, they're basically like, we need a girl in this movie. Um, and so they just added that character, but she didn't have any, like, flaws or mm-hmm. it just, it wasn't a fully developed character in the way that Leia was. I mean, Leia is, you know, she's still compassionate and and i think even more so we see like in some of the characters that have followed her like especially with a character like Hera, like she is very much a leader she's got her own opinions that are very strong um Mm. but she is still like nurturing and a woman and that only adds to the character's strength and compellingness one of the great things about the character leia is it like like you know, Billy Lord kind of quoting her mother there. I think uh, Carrie Fisher always says, uh, uh, "I'm Princess Leia. Princess Leia is, is me. It's a it's a Mobius striptease." Is is kind of the quote she always would use. Um, is that you know Carrie? I think to George's credit, this character comes in a lot. There's a lot of people who have some hands in some of the dialogue, but it's Carrie, right? And he yeah. just kind of like that's how a lot of characters f- uh, form form around the personalities. You couldn't deny a personality. She was literally Hollywood royalty, but she also, yeah. um, you know, kind of you know goes into her own direction and. And, and that was what's always interesting. Carrie Fisher herself was was flawed, and I got to see it up up close when I hosted that panels uh, panel that she was on in uh, Wizard World Chicago in 2016. Yeah. And and how people want to ask questions not just about Star Wars, but about mental health, and how Carrie owned who she was, yes. and owned the flaws, but still uh, had compassion for other people, and and held that field, and how that field Leia, even in the sequel trilogy, yeah. where Leia and Han are separated. Leia has gone back to what she knows, the tragedy of what happened with her son. She, the only, she, only she can do is what she's always done. Put herself, or put her, Alderaan's been destroyed. I'm going to put that here. I'm going to put the blanket around Luke because we got to go. The rebellion's gone. Mm-hmm. And even in canon now, the decision, I want to talk a little bit about this idea of Leia with the lightsaber. Yes. I would have loved seeing that too, but uh, um, her use of the force in, in Last Jedi, I love the moment. It, it sometimes mm-hmm. doesn't look the best, I get yeah. that, but, but I love the moment. But in canon, the answer is she was going to be Luke's first student, and she started but then she said i can't serve the galaxy as well 
that's that's serving me. I got to serve the greater yes. good. And governing is how it is. So there's there's flaws where we find this character. Uh, the eyes of Leia on Crate are the eyes of pain and loss in the face of trying to pursue uh, all her you know all, all the freedoms she wanted to fight for. So I just think it's that's part of this legacy too. Yeah, yeah. and it's that idea of J.J. Abrams kind of. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. like you said, we don't know the full extent of what could have been, which is too bad, and I don't want to focus on that. But still, the idea of making her the main character in the Rise yeah. of Skywalker. It's just so fascinating. Either way, I still feel like she's going to be the emotional anchor or the anchor in general. Mm-hmm. I, I already told all my friends by the first trailer, there's I'm going to cry my eyes out <laughs> in The Rise of Skywalker. But with the addition of the stuff they're going to do with Princess Leia is going to be incredible. Yeah. Final note on this here. JJ, uh, Todd Fisher says JJ's working with about eight minutes of footage. Billy Lord goes in a little more detail in this essay. Um, I don't have the exact quote up right now, but basically saying that there's like, a lot of things they had, not necessarily putting a number on eight minutes. I think the expectation should be she's not going to be in a lot of this, but it's yes. going to have that emotional punch. Emma, you going to be okay with that? Yeah, I mean, I would, I would rather that than them trying to manufacture something yeah. that is... Uh, over-processed. <laughs> or, or, or just cast uh, the ghost of James Dean visually yeah. in the movie. Yeah. yeah, Right, right. So it's going to be, you, you're, you're ready for that powerful punch being packed. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm, I mean, I'm assuming literally it's going to open up and I'm already going to start crying. So <laughs> it's going to be a mess. <laughs> uh, that is our look at Star Wars news. Uh, we already went in deep. Wow. I was like, hey, let's uh, let's get in and get out. We're already <laughs> spending some time on it here. There's a lot to talk about, a lot to dig in. Uh, we're going to look now at The Mandalorian, the series, which uh, drops November 12th. There's still some debate on when it happens. Uh, I heard one source because uh, a lot of people in the U.K. aren't getting uh, Disney Plus to like, 2020 but mm-hmm. like the netherlands has it and i heard it's going to be dropping 3 p.m local there uh we've heard that mandalorian episodes will be dropping like uh, at 8 p.m eastern five local for us here a lot of that's up in the air um so that's the first interesting thing about the series uh but the first episode is tuesday i cannot believe we're just days away that's kind of mind-blowing wow. emma star wars is on our tv live <laughs> action I know. I'm it's, so excited. <laughs> Ace, uh, what, uh, you got Disney Plus on all devices right now? Uh, I mean... You're exploding in your seats. Yes. <laughs> Disney Plus is... Uh, I am absolutely going to get that, and I am so excited to see this show, so yeah. I can't wait. Let's set the state of the galaxy first of here's what you're looking for here. The series is set about five years after the return of the Jedi. Now, Chuck Wendig's Aftermath series, the Alphabet Squadron, a lot of that's within like 16, 15, 18-month range after the Battle of Endor, which is what everyone kind of considers the end of the Return of the Jedi era, even mm-hmm. though the story does go on. Johnny Favs, that's what we call John Favre around here, says the show d- deals with what happens when the rule of law disappears. That um, leads me to some key post-Jedi events. We know the Emperor's conting- contingency plan, Operation Cinder, <laughs> featured prominently in the Battlefront 2 uh, story mode uh, and a lot of other uh, new canon material. Uh, with the Battle of Jakku was where the final stand of the Empire, what remained, uh, was made. The rebels, uh, by then the New Republic basically got the victory, but Gallius Rax, Ray Sloan, the chess piece game that Emperor Palpatine wanted Gallius Rax to put into play of just, the, 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 the king is gone, destroy the game, the game's over, go rebuild somewhere else. 
that leads to Ray Sloan and uh, Brendel Hux and people like that and select Imperial survivors heading to the unknown regions where Ray Sloan, one of my favorite characters I still want more of, a Wakandan Sith witch, this is for you. Give me more Ray Sloan. <laughs> and I hope, I don't think it's going to happen in Mandalorian, but it happens somewhere. I'll, ta- I'll take it uh, wherever it is because he's a fascinating character. She is a hero who is a villain. She grew up in the Empire. She grew up on a planet that was uh, ravaged by crime and the Empire cleaned it up from her perspective. But then along the way, she realizes, no, I don't want to serve the Empire. I want to I serve me. I want to rebuild this thing. And our first order is to rebuild it in uh, a new light. And that's what she goes out to do. We don't know that story yet. The Galactic Concordance is signed on Chandrilla by Masamita, uh, the uh, Grand Vizier of uh, the Empire. Uh, Masamita, of course, going all the way back to the prequels. Yep. The New Republic formed, uh, but trying to find its footing, and that's key to as we go into this conversation. Mon Mothma, we all know Mon Mothma. Uh, many Bothans died to bring us this information. She calls. She becomes the Chancellor. Uh, the capitals move from Coruscant to Chandrilla, her home planet, and Mon Mothma calls for a 90% reduction of the centralized military. She says that uh, war is not uh, a permanent state. That is, war is just uh, uh, the little errors between peace, and we are now in an era of peace. So that's a great way to start. We're going to get into some information, directors, episodes. I want to talk about the state of the galaxy with you two. Yeah. Because what we're seeing here, and we got Moff Gideon played by Giancarlo Esposito, part of the Empire, but the Empire is in tatters, uh, tattered, uh, tattered remains. This is kind of a lawless land. The, the Warner Herzog... Uh, audio that we keep seeing cut up he's talking about things aren't as great as you would think post-revolution yeah and i love that theme because that is true to real life of basically you know when you come in and you wipe out the entire existing government that was you are left with a a sort of lawlessness Mm -hmm. to what's going on and there's no sort of order whatsoever and it doesn't mean that your efforts were bad. They were good, but there's a lot of rebuilding that has to happen. And like everything doesn't just automatically become amazing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, absolutely. Yeah. And when and, that happens, you know, usually you get people who want to fill that void. Yeah, and, yeah Who exactly. declare themselves as strong enough and powerful enough to have a following and rise up a following, whether that be from the Empire side or whether that be from someone else. But that's the idea of filling that void. What is going to fill that void? Will it be some sort of democratic unity or will it be another version of the Empire, which is eventually what we get with the First Order? Uh, But the idea of just bounty hunters kind of reigning supreme and kind of having a field day during this time, I guess is kind of what I'm imagining it is, is fascinating because it's that idea of whoever pays the most is mm-hmm. kind of in charge, which is kind of what we see in real life anyways. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, so if I have more money, like, I can pay more bounty hunters. Yeah. Therefore, I have more dominion it's, over my area. It's like rogue capitalism. Yeah. <laughs> well, capitalism gone rogue. Yeah. Well, look, because look, this is absolutely the gunslinger in town, bounty hunters, and, and that's intriguing to a lot of people. You know, the, the 2005-era live-action show we were going to get was going to be The Underworld, right? Mm. But... Uh, Lucas always wants his themes. Star Wars is about themes. Favreau understands that. He, Favreau is dumping his his toy chest of figures on yes, the floor and playing with them. <laughs> and he's bringing Filoni along for the ride and a lot of great people. But without these themes, it's nothing. So a series about bounty hunters going around is great, but a series about bounty hunters in a world where you can get your own power because there's uh, the the New Republic's off floundering, mm-hmm. trying to figure it out. The, 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 it didn't stop uh, Ewoks dancing. It's not the end of the story. Mm-mm. And they're trying to figure it out. And, and then you got some Empire people going, hey, 
the, our trains yeah, ran on time. we're done with this. Yeah. Yeah. Remember when we were here? You weren't mugged in the street because we were stomping on everyone's necks. But hey, and 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 that is going to be part of what's going on. And that's that's fertile yeah. ground for me, Ace. Absolutely. And I feel like that's what we're going to get in the first few episodes for sure. However, and I know I'm I'm jumping the gun yeah. with your area. I can't lie when I say I can't wait to see what kind of Mandalorian stuff we get, whether it be from different houses or whether it be to what's happened to Mandalore. Um, yeah. But obviously, that's later down the <laughs> yeah. line. I'm sure we'll get that more in season two. And I want to I want to put a pin in that for the themes discussion yes. uh, about something we really dive into deep over on Force Center, Scrimshaw and I, and then Scrimshaw in a, in a hotel in Chicago was the first time he said this series has to be about. Reclaiming identities, yeah. and yes. I think that's something uh, that's important. That includes the Empire, uh-huh. which is now going. Hey, 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 who are we now in this world? We're going to yeah. find out. Uh, but let's get to some stats and stories here, Ace. Um, the people behind the camera, pretty important, uh, and a lot of people excited for what's coming. Absolutely. So the great thing is, we get the first episode, and it's directed by our boy, Clone Wars homie, Mister Dave Filoni. Filoni, uh, the, the second Pittsburgh yeah. Zone. Second episode comes out three days afterwards, so it comes out that same, I believe, Friday. I'll, I'll be in Washington, D.C., yeah. watching with uh, Mark Ellis in the hotel room. <laughs> there you go. But it's directed by Rick Famuyima, yeah. and he's the director of Dope, for a lot of people who don't know. He's also directing the upcoming Children of Blood and Bone, mm. which is a novel that a lot of people have been ready, reading over these past few years. It's a yeah. very, very popular kind of novel, kind of African culture kind of thing that Lucasfilms already picked up to develop into a, f- a feature film. Oh, wow. So oh. he's actually directing a feature film for Lucasfilm, like this is an actual production, that's awesome. um, based on what I've read before, I, I yeah. hope that's still the case. Uh, episode three, we get Deborah Chow, which we already know she's directing the Obi Wan series. Yep. And for people who don't know, she does a lot of Westworld, and she's incredible. She's a genius. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen a lot of behind Jessica the scenes. Jessica Jones too, right? Jessica Jones. Yeah, she's yep. an episode of Jessica Jones. I've yes. seen a lot yeah. of behind the scenes with Deborah Chow, and kind of her describing her developing of story, developing of directing. She's very, very smart. I'm excited to see anything she does. Uh, Bryce Dallas Howard is directing an episode, the following episode. Uh, Dave Filoni returns for episode, uh, I believe, five. And Rick returns for episode six, episode seven, Deborah Chow. And then our final episode is directed by my boy, Taika Waititi, already a guy who's getting Oscar love for Jojo Rabbit. (laughs) So this is a guy who knows how to direct and knows how to make really quality films quickly dive into what the styles of these directors uh, yeah what, what we're expecting what what does director director of dope mean for the mandalorian so so rick really likes to focus on character that's his big thing he loves to develop character character motivation mm. but you know what's great about all these directors at least the ones that i know off the top of my head is comedy rick, mm. dope is a funny movie it's almost borderline a comedy Taika Waititi obviously is a comedian and then we get I mean Dave Filoni he knows how to throw in some comedy classic Star Wars comedy with the Clone Wars and with Rebels Mm -hmm. so I'm interested to see everyone talking about TV 14 western but it's still gonna be classic Star Wars comedy yeah and that and that to me I think is what is a little bit reassuring Ace as you bring up the point is a lot of these directors have a good track record with comedy. That doesn't mean that they're making a comedy. It mm-hmm. means that they are making a drama that's not taking itself too seriously. Mm-hmm. So this is it. Oh, you're mad. No, no. Why are you mad? mad? No, 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 no. I'm, mad. I, I'm interested. I'm I love because I love comedy in Star Wars. Yeah. And it's not all great. No. no. Attack of the Clones has no. some of my least favorite comedy in Star Wars. Uh, that whole C-3PO sequence, uh, mm, no, I have some <laughs> issues. But... Uh, 
going to the last Jedi. Remember, we were all geared up for a dark, gritty, brick looper Star Wars. Yeah. And at one point, Ryan Johnson put out a quote, and he was like, I've also got some comedy. I know a lot of people didn't like the comedy. I think it's used effectually, but I it's also too, it also is different. It's very uh, different. It, it is different, yeah. and I understand. I, I I get the grading, especially the the phone joke at the beginning. I think it's it's used to undercut the fas- fascists at play. But we're hearing a lot about and and there's been you know Ludwig Gordon talking about the music, uh, talking about the gritty feel. Should we be prepared for some jokes that maybe might take you off your dark and gritty path a little bit? Ace is not. From Emma, what, what do you think? I have seen so far from this show, because I saw about ten minutes of an episode at Star mm-hmm. Wars Celebration. You, you saw, yeah, it yeah, as well. the, yeah, the, the Warner Herzog. Yeah, yeah, it feels more like the comedy is going to come in the form of what we expect from like classic OG Star Wars trilogy. It's not going to be character based. Yes, very character based. Very yeah. like smooth one liner yeah. kind of based. Uh, Mishap flying by the skin of your the seat of your pants, getting by by the skin of your teeth, kind of stuff that okay. just like funny funny moments naturally evolve out of. And I, I think Ace, you know, you you brought up with like um, uh, Rick Famuyiwa that like he is very character focused, and so I think that it's not going to be as jarring as say some of the comedic turns that Ryan Johnson took with yeah. Last Jedi. Uh, agreed, Absolutely. agreed. That that is kind of what I wanted to say. I'm not trying to say this is going to be a comedy that's going to take you out of it. No, I yeah, I just I just I think it's a good yeah, it's a good thing to bring up. Yeah, if, if, especially Taika Waititi. And Taika Waititi's talked about. Sorry, I'll let you finish. Has talked about. Hey, no, I understand. There's some rules to play with Star Wars. This isn't going to be like uh, you know Thor Ragnarok yeah. with a shake weight joke. I I don't mind me myself, it's but short. I don't want that in Star Wars. I don't mind. I love it. And I know a lot. And I know a lot of people upset. I love it. Of uh, uh, I don't know. Not saying it wasn't a bad yeah, joke, no, no, no. but I'm just saying in Star Wars, you know, that specific, specific plot. Uh, pop culture humor, which yes. again, a, a, a Yo Mama joke I understood didn't hit for a lot of people. Yeah. Jarring's a great word. My biggest problem, uh, you know, I, I wish Luke didn't throw it over his hand. I wish he just tossed the lightsaber aside. Uh, and, and I get that. Sure, yes. Um, yeah. I just bring it up to say, I like, I'm coming from a place of ignorance on the movie Dope. I'll admit. And when you're like, oh, it's got some comedy. In fact, it's almost a straight comedy. It's I'm almost like, a straight comedy. Yeah. Oh, and you got Taika and uh, Bryce Dallas Howard's a bit of a wild card. We don't know her style yet. I know she's got some short films, I yeah. believe, on, on her resume. Yeah. Um, I'm not, I'm not looking at Rod, Ron Howard to see, but she's got her own style, I'm sure. So yeah. that's, that's where I'm just wondering. It is interesting then, too, to bring in, you know, uh, a voice like Deborah Chow, who's done mostly very, very serious. serious drama. <laughs> very dark. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, what I like about her, uh, just the resume itself, uh, Breaking Bad or Jessica Jones, yeah. uh, and, and what she's going to be doing with Kenobi, it is kind of that person, that character, standing by themselves, uh, dark yeah. themes, dark tones, but a lot of internal. I'm yeah. not overly yes. familiar with Jessica Jones. I watched a lot of it, and I love what's going on, but like, correct me if I'm wrong, Like, that's also, there's a very strong internal conflict going on with those yes. characters, oh, and, and, and that's yeah. what she's going to be And if you bringing. see Westworld, that's all of Westworld. Right. It's literally all internal conflicts. It's all heady, very heady, very smart mm-hmm. writing, very internal monologue type stuff. Yeah. Um, however... We have a character that's played by Taika Waititi, guys. It's yeah. IG-11. I know. I He's going to be hilarious. So I, I think there will be comedy in every episode. And I think it'll be more like Rogue One. Yes. How about that? Like and K2SO. I, 100%. And that's what I was going to yeah. say. Is I, I think, too, like we need to remember that 
the droids have often been a comedic That's anchor true. in Star Wars since yes. the very beginning. Since and George Lucas episode. will remind you that yeah. people didn't like 3PO's humor coming people out of New hated Hope. 3- uh, people hated R2, man. Yeah. It's true. I mean, it's, that's hard to hate R2. Man. <laughs> it is. The only character in Star Wars that cusses freely. Right? <laughs> Nobody knows. Um, Filoni's a wild card. I think we'll save some of Filoni talk for sake of time because I'm. We're all. Yeah. I think we're all really interested in this yes. move to live action. Yes. A lot of people love him. I love him. I indeed. love him. Uh, yeah, Space whales and Mieber Gascon aside, I think he's <laughs> he's hit a home run after home run in Star Wars. That's a bigger thing. Um, any final thoughts on the directors, Ace and Emma? We'll take us through the characters here. Uh, I'm incredibly excited. Again, like you said, Filoni is probably the one that I'm looking forward to the most, just because I haven't seen that live action form versus mm-hmm. everyone else I've seen on here. Um, but I still feel like it's interesting that you're giving the finale to yeah. Taika Waititi. Like, what is this bring finale going to be? No. And the fact that he's bringing it home, yeah. but he's bringing it home with his own directing style, yeah. which I'm so excited and for. And the yeah. Filoni stuff, uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about it. Because, Adam, you got some pictures of Filoni, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. Adam Smith in the booth, everybody. Yeah, you got, Adam. The secret sauce <laughs> to success here is Adam Smith in the booth. Filoni, what's interesting to me is the ties to George Lucas, him learning under mm-hmm. George for so many years, Dave has a sense of the force more than I think anyone has. Is the force going to be present here? Oh, there he is with the Steelers. I, I, Dave's from Pittsburgh. Yeah. I, he and Makuga didn't hang out. He's a few years older than Makuga. Um, and so is uh, Ming-Nay uh, Ming, uh, from, from Ming-Nay yeah. yeah, yeah. Ming Sorry, I apologize. Uh, Pittsburgh as well, I think, is what I read the Bresnikin's article. Uh, so that's interesting with Filoni. The, the, the lore, the handle of stories, the connections, but the connection with George Lucas, and that's why I think George Lucas is roaming around this project, and I think getting really surprisingly close to this project, is you got Dave saying, hey, Fabs, you got the master. Let's just, let's, it's not just him taking a selfie and that one of George trying to figure out a selfie is still one of the best shots of 2019. <laughs> yes. um, so any, any final thoughts on Filoni and want to move on to the characters? I'm excited to see what Filoni brings to live action. That's all I'll say. Uh, it's not too far away. I'm rooting for him. So close. All right. So close. Emma, we got characters we that we know do so far. indeed. Characters we know so far that are going to appear in The Mandalorian. Uh, first of all, of course, we have the eponymous Mandalorian, yes. played by Pedro Pascal. Uh, it has been confirmed that he does have a real name, whether or not that is going to be revealed at some point in the series. Um, I don't know. But as far as the creative team goes... Obrin, Obrin Fett. <laughs> Be his name. Yep. Sure. Yep. Sure. It, it'll be some crazy name yeah. that we're going to be like, whoa, I know that name. Uh, next up, we have got Kara Dune, played by Gina Carano. She is a former rebel shock trooper. Again, uh, going to be exploring some themes there with the whole idea of when the war ends, what do the soldiers do? Uh, and she clearly is somebody that is not super mm. uh, comfortable with peace times. Uh, we have got Cooley. His voice is being provided by Mr. Nick Nolte. Nice. Nick Nolte in Star Wars. Uh, Grief Karga is being played by Carl Weathers. Uh, he seems to be sort of the bounty hunter boss of Pedro Pascal's Mandalorian and other other bounty hunters, yep. in theory. Uh, we have got Moff Gideon, played by Giancarlo Esposito. Again, we're dealing with there are still remnants of the Empire around. Uh, we have seen him standing in front of a bunch of troopers, yeah, so yeah. obviously he's somebody that's like, he's one of those people that, again, you say, Ken, is like, they're on the sidelines going, our, our trains ran on time. <laughs> uh, IG-11 being voiced by Taika Waititi, an IG droid, not to be confused with his counterpart, IG-88. Mm-hmm. Mostly... 
they decided to go with IG-11 from the point of view of wanting to have more freedom with the character and not right. bringing any expectations to it. It's a droid. There's more than one IG unit yeah. uh, who I'm sure will provide some, uh, I'm hoping, sardonic humor. Yeah, I'm yeah. hoping he's like a, a killing machine because it's an assassin droid. Yeah. Uh, but that he's kind of dry, funny. Uh, Omera being played by Julia Jones, Fennec Shand, uh, Ming-Na Wen, who we spoke about before, and The Client being played by Mr. Werner Herzog, uh, uh, who I just really want to say every Star Wars line that's ever existed in Werner Herzog's voice, because something about him saying, Loya Blaster, please, (laughs) is very, very entertaining to me. Uh, Uh, Yes, we see uh, inside, I'm I'm trying to think of like, is this footage that people have seen or is this footage that I have seen where Werner Herzog is having a conversation with the Mandalorian? He accepts a job from him Mm -hmm. um, at one point and he offers to pay him in Beskar, uh, which is... The metal that Mandalorian armor is made of. We talk about that here in a minute or two, right? I know, yeah. 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 Uh, of these, uh, <laughs> of these characters, Emma, which one? Uh, all of them, I think, we're, we're without a doubt. We're looking yeah. forward to seeing what they bring. Anything yeah. jump off uh, the page that you're looking uh, forward listen, to? Listen, Adam, I have got an image uh, that is not part of my Mandalorian discussion. That's a comparison image that mm-hmm. I, I would just mm-hmm. like to bring to everybody's attention real oh, quick yeah, here. Yeah. This, this is fascinating. Uh, so I love this. in the. Uh, newest like full trailer for the mandalorian the camera pans by this gal who's in the background who looks suspiciously like my character from the star wars <laughs> rpg that i did pencils and parsecs uh so i want to know who this girl is i want to know her story she's probably literally like a background character sure. in an episode but yeah. uh yeah my character in pencils and parsecs was mandalorian so really yeah Ooh. what was your character's name again uh, killara Faye. see yeah yeah I don't yeah. know. Could yeah. be. That'd be great. Uh, but no, I I'm uh, I am super duper excited uh, about IG11. God, I I, yeah, yeah, I yeah. love yeah. I love a good like. You love a good sardonic droid. I love a good sardonic droid. I love a good murder droid. Uh, It's really what it boils down to. Uh, Shout out to Chopper from Star Wars Rebels and his incredibly high body count. Mm. Ace. I mean, you know where I'm going, Ken. There's there's one guy on here who... uh, Nick Nolte. (laughs) I grew up with Nick Nolte. No, um, there's a character from uh, Game of Thrones that happens to be one of my favorite characters Mm. of all time. Mm. Uh, And as soon as he came on, immediately became one of my favorite actors and then quickly... Went into Hollywood and came in a couple movies. But I really do feel like Pedro Pascal is going to bring something so cool, so unique, so powerful to the character of the Mandalorian that people are going to be blown away. And I mean blown away because he's acting behind a suit of armor, Mm -hmm. which is really hard to do. (laughs) Considering that a lot of people refuse to do that. A lot of actors don't Mm want to do that because it hides their acting ability, their face, whatever it may be. Um, and we get characters like uh, Kylo Ren, who does it quite a bit. And obviously, right. Darth Vader is a famous character who's done that. But being right. an actor and choosing to play a character who's hidden behind a mask is a very bold statement. But I feel like already he has one line that I've heard from him in the trailer. And already I'm just like, dude, yeah, this, this guy's the biggest badass in the galaxy. For some reason, I'm thinking of Edward Norton in Kingdom of Heaven when he plays the King of Jerusalem the whole movie. <laughs> you just don't see his face because he's, he's got leprosy. And, and he, it's a powerful performance. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, already looking to season two. Season one, like, uh, Pedro Pascal getting more in just having a chance to go into a second season. I'm a Game of Thrones guy, and I got one season yeah. with him uh, to see him really just embody the character even more uh, in season two. But, yeah, so you're, you're going title character for good reason. 
It's good reason. Uh, yeah, I, there's a lot to jump out for me. I, I do love the Nick Nolte to finally hear his voice and to see Nick Nolte's eyes in a like a CG performance capture, whatever they did with his face. And yeah. I never heard of a Mandalorian. I know. Like, I'm on board for that, <laughs> that kind so of stuff. Uh, Omera, Julia Jones is an interesting uh, uh, under the radar character because yeah. I think she's going to have a lot to do with not necessarily the plot, but everything, everything, even even the promotional shots. I'm telling you, there's something going on in the Mandalorian's heart and yes. head, and I think we're going to see a lot of that. And I think she's the one, right? That's taking. Looks like it's going. She's going to take the helmet off. Yes. So that's maybe, yeah. maybe she's like, "Your name is Ted Fett. Come on." <laughs> um, I'm excited. Good old Teddy. Giancarlo Fett. Esposito. Yeah. I know a lot of people love his work. And look, I'm a kid of the '80s. Carl Weathers, just yeah. running uh, underground syndicates, getting a good soup on. This is what I'm looking forward to. And he's directing in season two. It's a good class, uh, good cast. Gina Carano. Uh, I, I'm very interested too as well. You guys, where do you guys uh, come down on Gina Carano? Who's you know, admittedly not got a lot of acting. I think yeah. she, in, the, in the celebration panel, she said, "I'm kind of Filoni and yeah, Favreau." Yeah, I guess kind I'm of, an actor. Now. I guess she I'm an actor said now. That. We know what she brings. The physicality of this role what, what are you expecting you you love the fight game so you know i was gonna say i know gina when she was an action because i've yeah. been following the ufc since i was 13 yeah so i literally have been following mma forever and i knew gina before she was yeah. into act when i would see her fights uh back when uh women's mma was coming up so i remember gina carano quite a bit uh i i like gina man i've liked her forever i even liked her in deadpool i thought she yeah, was yeah. great yeah. um and i feel like a lot of people give her a lot of um undo crap i guess Mm -hmm. i could say but i feel like she can give a great performance especially like people really underestimate physical based performances Mm -hmm. physical based performances is acting as well so give her a chance and i think she'll give an awesome performance to a great character i think that she is being set up for success here i think that they have put her in a role that is adjacent to who she is that plays to her strengths again because you know she's somebody who could potentially be you know uncomfortable with with transitioning into her new role as an actor she's playing a character who's uncomfortable transitioning into her new role in a society that no longer necessarily needs her what she does best yeah so i think that you know i regardless of whether or not she is a stellar actor, I think that she's in a role that suits her very well. I, I think what you just said, being set up for success is key. I, in the past, have been one of those people that probably said some comments I regret, uh, just like, ah, she's not great. Uh, that's that's not fair to say of, uh, of a creative per- person, but also what your point, Emma, is really important, of, of set up for success. Yeah. She, what Soderbergh brought her in, they've, they ended up dubbing her, her audio, uh, her dialogue, and, yeah. and Deadpool's a great use of her, but I think, I think you can see from that, that panel at Celebration that she's very shy, she's very aware that, hey, I was a fighter mm-hmm. first, uh, and she's learning, and I think if you're surrounding the right people, um, and it seems like they are very protective and also you know, pushing her out in the forefront. Yeah. Uh, I'm excited more than I was now uh, at the beginning with her casting. I, I will admit that. Uh, I don't want to drop anything on the floor, but we, we, we don't want to get too lost in the weeds here uh, and make this show three hours and Adam miss, <laughs> miss his lunch. Uh, Luba Gordon doing the music. Uh, I love his work. A producer of uh, one of my favorite bands, Haim. He uh, produced their first album, worked on that one. Uh, Black Panther, a composer that also uh, yeah, a little bit of success with that a uh, quick note on what you're expecting for the music and and he's already really won me over with the trailer Ooh, uh so i've known ludwig for quite a bit um so i follow personally they have brunch every sunday yeah <laughs> i mean you never know no i'm kidding 
Um, but yeah, so I, I follow hip hop quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Hip hop is something that hip hop yeah. culture and all this kind of stuff. And when he first started producing for Childish Gambino, which is someone I've yep. obviously yeah. known for quite a bit too, uh, Cul-de-Sac, he produced uh, the mixtape Cul-de-Sac, and then obviously he went up to produce Awaken My Love, Break the, uh, Break the Internet, um, all this kind of stuff that hip-hop fans know and hip-hop fans love. <laughs> he is a master musician, and I mean master musician. He composed one of my favorite film scores of all time with the new Creed. Mm, he did the new right. Creed yeah. score, which is incredible. Um, Ludwig is one of the best composers in Hollywood right now. I'm convinced he's going to give us something spectacular yeah. in this show. I mean, he's an Oscar-winning composer at this point. Yeah. So uh, uh, give me Star Wars version of Spaghetti Western themes. That's what I want. I'm here for it. Sign me up. There's a great article in LA Times right now on latimes.com. I don't know where you're at with your free subscription uh, uh, reads. <laughs> I don't know. I always hate when I click on a story and it's like, you must now sign up. But there's a great LA Times article where he talks about he has a great understanding of what Star Wars music is and what he's doing in the epic field, but also yeah. bringing his own style. I love what we've heard so far. Uh, themes, conflicts, our own expectations as we round out this. Uh, and also, we'll tease, we are doing a Mandalorian review show here. Um, I will be on it. Uh, Emma, Andres will be rotated in and out. Mm-hmm. Joseph Scrimshaw from Force Center, my uh, uh, feed with uh, Joseph and I and Jennifer co-founded that. Uh, Joseph will be coming in for some of those as well. And, and some other people, Mark Riley, you will also see as well. Hey, Mark Riley! Hi, Mark! Um, but stay tuned for when that actually will drop because we're trying to figure out when we can record it because there's no screeners right now. A lot of things kept under wraps, so we're going to watch it along with you and do a show. Let's go into some of the themes we talked about, uh, reclaiming identity, uh, bigger themes. I think a lot of it, Emma, tied to Mandalorian culture, and we might get to, get some answers on what happened to some yes. that culture or some of the names we know. That is absolutely true. I mean, and I'll get into it as I dive more into Mandalorian history in just a moment here. But where we end, as far as we know, of things that have happened with the Mandalorians ends with the end of Star Wars Rebels. And on top of that, the end of Star Wars Rebels jumped from before the start of the the original trilogy to the end of the original trilogy. And the main character through whom we saw Mandalorian culture never went back to Mandalore. Yeah. So we don't know, and I'm excited to get into some of that, and that very much fits with those themes of reclaiming your identity because Mm -hmm. the Mandalorians are definitely a group of people who had a very strong identity that's been challenged on multiple occasions and torn asunder, and it's how do we marry these, like, two sort of opposing factions of Mandalorian culture. I like that, Ace. I mean, Beams, what do you want? Obviously, everyone's kind of focusing on the conception of the First Order, which a mm. lot of people kind of feel like, oh, it's not really going to get into that. I kind of want to get into that. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think see... season one, but I think it's sure, sure, yeah. sure, sure. Uh, those canon checklists we're not going to get, but later on they might. I, I yeah. just like the idea of of governments and structures, yeah. and obviously that's kind of what Star Wars has always been about. It's like, I mean, fascism and the emperor like this this isn't something new it's always been a part of star wars and the idea of like who fills that void and what order means and what government means and how to unite a certain group of people under one umbrella of a community or an organization whatever that may be those ideas to me are just fascinating just because i'm really into that stuff so that's kind of the stuff i want to see in this show as well yeah and the biggest conflict that I want to see is the Mandalorian versus himself, man. I want to yeah. see uh, he's a bounty hunter. What happened to his culture? We're going to talk about the yeah. Beskar. Um, some, who knows if he's faced down by, by the ghosts of the past, the Bo-Katan crisis and all those kind of people who, who 
you know, again, they're a warlike culture, but mm-hmm. but Duchess of Teen tries to, you know, what what is that culture even mm-hmm. now? We're talking a little bit about that, I'm sure, in your your segment. Um, I want to. I think that's what's most fascinating to me. Not a badass running around doing badass things. We are going to get that, and I yeah. want to see that. But what's going on behind that mask is going to be the big question. Final thought here for the preview. This is going to be tough to answer, but I want to ask Emma: What could go wrong? Uh, could this uh, fail on? Anyway, uh, it could because we're all excited. Yes, uh, I think that it could fail if it leans too heavily into the comedy aspect. We already mm. talked about how a lot of these directors have a, 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 a lot yeah. of experience with comedy. I don't think it should be all doom and gloom, but I do think that it needs to be a serious series at its heart. Um, I think that it could go off track. If, say, they le- if, if honestly it relies too much on the stuff that has come before it. Like, I think that Star Wars is, I, I give you the prime example of this the movie Solo. Mm-hmm. Uh, Darth Maul shows up. Ha- the majority, at least half, I would say 75% of the audience has not watched the series, The Clone Wars. Right. And they go, huh? Yeah. So I think if we rely too much on people having a previous knowledge of things that have been explored in, say, novels like the Aftermath novels or even stuff that's happened in the animated series, which Dave Filoni has been very involved in, it could be a little alienating to people. Okay. I think that's a great point. I think that's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. Ace, Uh, what could go wrong? I don't think... Okay, I believe in this story. I believe in the directors. I believe in the talent. I don't think it's going to go wrong. I think Star Wars fans are going to like this show regardless. Mm -hmm. Mm. However... I feel like going wrong can be not enough viewers. Not yeah. many people tune in. Not many people great. buy Disney+. Plus. I think that's the only thing I see going wrong. Sure. Mm-hmm. That's so, a great point. Also, yeah. opening day, I'm a, I'm a day one WWE Network subscriber, yeah. and it didn't work for like four days. Yeah. I helped launch Screen Junkies yeah. Plus. It didn't work for two years. Yeah. All right? <laughs> like, like it, that, and already, I, I have Disney Plus up on a tab here because... I tried to sign up day one, and it took all my information and then just vanished. Yeah. I never had an account. I never got charged. So good. what also could go wrong is day one, crash. we all tune in, and we're like, yeah. Yeah, I guess could we're yeah. going to go outside and play Star Wars with our figures yeah. right now. Um, great point, the business side of it, too. And for me, what could go wrong if, 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 there's, if there's not that those themes, those, those deeper uh, connections to a larger story, uh, not in terms of just a checklist. No, no, yeah. They're going to be there, and I trust that, are. and that's what I go to your point. But, but yeah, if some of it falls flat or if it's just all action and no depth, yeah. and again, I'm not expecting that. I'm, that was what was not pulling me in initially when mm-hmm. I saw some stuff, and then the more you kind yeah. of stop and think, which is, I think, key in watching Star Wars. I, I hate the watch it and run out to the parking lot and tweet your star five out of seven star ratings. I hate that, <laughs> yes. that, that culture we're in. I want to take time to ruminate on stuff. So we'll see what's deep, what's in there. And if it's just a bunch of fighting and figures, uh, action figures playing, it will be cool, but maybe not stand the test of time. But I'm not expecting that. No. The tech stuff. Uh, great stuff there. All right. Mandalorian dropping sometime on Tuesday, <laughs> November 12th here in the States and some other select places. And to all of those, we get... Yeah, I've heard a lot from people over uh, UK specifically. Like, hey, we're not going to watch it for a while. Number one, we're we're, we're sorry. We don't, yeah. you know, talk to Uncle Bob. I'm sure it's not even his fault. Uh, but we are going to do the separate show. We will sometimes talk about it here. I think we're going to have to. But hey, uh, you know, 
I guess log off to social media until, if you don't want to be spoiled. <laughs> until 2020. <laughs> I think there's going to be some big things and some big names you're familiar with coming in right here. I think it's going a lot of it's going to be changed uh, right away, and I think that's why Disney's just clamping down oh. anything about the promotion uh, about it. But Mandalorian's here, and we're going to go into it. But quick, uh, I want to say quickly, Emma, but because you put a lot of work in it. <laughs> I'll do this as quickly I'll, as I can. I'll cut stuff on the back end. I so talk that, fast. Uh, yeah. Uh, we need to know a little bit about Mandalorian lore because it's fueling a lot of the show. It is definitely going to be fueling a lot of the show. I mean, again, especially just having that immediate confirmation of uh, the client, Werner Herzog, uh, offering to, to pay in Beskar. And we see that it looks like the Mandalorian updates his armor from some yes, of the still images yeah, yeah, yeah. that we've seen. His armor looks a little bit different in all of them. So, guys, let's talk a little bit about the history and culture of Mandalorians. In the beginning, there were dinosaurs. <laughs> okay, not canonically anymore, but according to some earlier Expanded Universe sources, the planet Mandalore was once inhabited by dino-dragon hybrids. No, Joe Starr did not make those up for that one episode of Pencils and Parsecs <laughs> that Ken was on, uh, which were called Mythosaurs or Mythosaurs. It's Star Wars. Who knows? And everyone's going to pronounce it 16 different ways. Anyway, until a Tong warrior, which is basically a Star Wars version of a predator called Mandalore the First, came along with all of his other predator buddies and killed them and claimed the land for themselves. Uh, that seems like a pretty intense length to go to just to explain the symbol that appears on Boba Fett's pauldron. So that pauldron that Boba Fett has okay. there, that is supposed to be the skull of a mythosaur, or it was back in the day, but again, none of that stuff is actually canon anymore. So let's talk about actual canon. So Mandalore, it's a planet in the Outer Rim inhabited by a race of Fearsome warriors, they are humans, and they're called, you got it, Mandalorians. The Mandalorians are total badasses with actually a pretty decent political hierarchy in place with all of the various Mandalorian clans being united under a single ruler also called Mandalore, but spelled differently. Uh, The clans are further designated into houses, which are made up of multiple clans who are loyal to each other, uh, as we see in Star Wars Rebels, like Clan Visla and Clan Wren are both part of House Visla. And the Mandalore also has an inner circle of royal guards known as the Protectors. We see uh, the remnants of the Protectors also in Star Wars Rebels, Fen Rao being one of those characters. So here's a little history lesson. Um, So basically, before the formation of the Republic, the Mandalorians are these crazy skilled warriors. They're known throughout the galaxy as skilled bounty hunters, mercenaries, and they're like, you know what? We're so great, we should probably expand. <laughs> so the Mandalorian Crusades begin, and they take over a bunch of other planets around them. Um, they buy Pixar. They buy yeah. Pixar. I mean, listen, the Mandalore and, and, and Disney, yeah. like, they're on the same page. Uh, the Republic forms, and then the Jedi are basically like, mm, listen, you got to slow your roll here. So they fight back against Mandalorian expansion. The Mandalorians are totally taken by surprise because they've never fought against somebody that uses the Force. <laughs> So the Mandalorians are like, uh, well, instead of just like later dazing on out of there and going, you know what? We got a planet. We got a little system of planets going. We're going to stay in place. They go, "Uh uh-uh, we're going to evolve. And so that's when they start developing all of the stuff that we know as far as like image-wise is associated with Mandalorians. So that's when they get the armor and the boots and the van braces with all the fancy tools so that they, and jetpacks. So they basically are able to fight back against force users. It was very um, specifically developed for that reason. There was one Mandalorian who was inducted into the Jedi Order. That is Tar Visla. 
You'll hear Visla come up a lot. That is one of the most prominent Mandalorian clans uh, who created the Darksaber, which would eventually go on to be viewed as a symbol of power that could unite the Mandalorian people, which is exactly what some future members of House Visla did when they stole the Darksaber from the Jedi Temple on Coruscant during the last centuries of the Old Republic. Now... There's a lot of stuff that happens that gets us up to where we are in Clone Wars, which is one of the first places that we see a lot of canonic Mandalorian material happening. So basically, House Vizsla unites and rules over all of Mandalore for a while, but eventually that falls apart because Mandalorians really like fighting. like fighting. And they love fighting each other. Uh, at this point, they basically devastate their entire planet. It's already been like partially destroyed from all the fighting that's been going on over the years, but they completely decimate it. It used to be this lovely, lush, rich green planet. At this point, it is just a sad desert uh, that you cannot inhabit. But once again, the Mandalorians are very, very stubborn. So instead of going, well, you know what, we are... And, and some of them do go to, like, other planets. So, like, Clan Ren we see lives on Cronest, which is, like, a, a ice snow planet which is nearby in the Mandalorian system but they're like we're not leaving Mandalore behind we're gonna build domed cities so we can keep living on our planet so I guess there's like artificial oxygen in these domed cities it's really unclear Um, and you know as this sort of like infighting continues and continues there's a new group of Mandalorians that emerge out of all of this literally called the new Mandalorians who are right. led by a woman by the name of Satine Kreez, who's actually from Kalabala, which is another one of the nearby planets in um, uh, on Mandalore. And she's like, yo, let's be peaceful people now. <laughs> so somehow in the midst of this whole war, she and her like buddies emerge victorious. So obviously they're still skilled fighters. They're still Mandalorians, but yeah. once they kind of end this civil war, which effectively put an end to Mandalorian expansion and let the Jedi kind of subdue what was going on with them. Um, she takes over. She's now Duchess Satine Kreese, as and she's the ruler of Mandalore. And it's now a pacifist uh, society that maintains diplomatic neutrality. They mm-hmm. do not participate in the Republic Senate. They're like, we are just going to do our thing and live our lives. Please leave us alone. Uh, but of course, you can't do that. And the uh, all of the more warlike Mandalorians have been exiled to the planet of Concordia. And one of those Mandalorians who is there is Pre Visla, who was voiced by Jon Favreau. Right. Uh, and he's like, yo, my buddies, his warrior pals are called Death Watch. Let's go back and get Mandalore for ourselves. So they like get into some stuff with uh, Darth Maul and the Shadow Collective. We're going to kind of breeze over a lot lot of Clone Wars stuff (laughs) because we'll get into it more when we're leading up to Clone Wars. Uh, But the gist of it is that uh, Death Watch manages to kind of infiltrate uh, Mandalore and sway the people to their own side. Um, uh, Darth Maul at one point ends up becoming the Mandalore. He claims the Darksaber for himself. And at the end of all of that, there ends up being the Siege of Mandalore, which is actually going to be covered in the new Clone Wars series. Mm -hmm. And at the end of all of it, uh, all of those people are gone. All the Death Watches, the Darth Mauls, they're done. And um, uh, Satine's sister, Bo-Katan Kryze, is actually installed as the regent of Mandalore. Right. Um, Now, that doesn't last very long, though, uh, because basically... um, she is usurped by the Saxon clan who are loyal to the Empire. Because basically, right. the Empire shows up and they're like, yo, we want an Imperial 
occupation here on Mandalore. And she's like, no, 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 that's not how Mandalorians roll. And so then they're like, cool, we're going to replace you with this other guy that's like our dude. Uh, and then eventually at the end of Star Wars Rebels, um, we see uh, uh, Sabine Wren, another Mandalorian character who's one of the main part of the ghost crew in there. She ends up getting the Darksaber back from Darth Maul, who had it on Dothamir, uh, and she returns the Darksaber to uh, Bo-Katan Kryze. They fight back against the Imperial occupation, and in the end, with, between the, the like cool Mandalorians that are like, no, we don't like the Empire, and the Rebel Alliance, Mandalore is reclaimed by the Mandalorians, and uh, Bo-Katan is installed as the Mandalore, and she's got the Darksaber. And that's where it ends. And that's... No, yeah. sorry, I'd cut you off. Go yeah. ahead. That's where it ends. That's it. That's, that's where we that's are where, now. That's where we are now. That's but great. That's... That was a powerful monologue. Yeah. <laughs> Remember, we did it. Thank you. No, thank it. you for putting that all together because it it it's important that it all ends where they've got a little bit of the freedom back. How did the empire feel about that? Yes, exactly. How did the empire at large? Gar Saxon's gone, but what does the empire look? Uh, what these Mandalorians took over? Yeah, we, and they're powerful warriors. We don't want them joining the rebellion. No, absolutely not. And that's that, what I'm intrigued by. And that by. is, and and again, because Sabine never goes. back back mm-hmm. to Mandalore. Like, she stays on Lethal being like, well, there's going to be another attack on Lethal. I know it. Yeah. And, it, and then it doesn't happen. So she didn't go back to Mandalore, so we don't know what was going on with the Mandalorians during the Rebellion. So that is something that I hope we're going to have addressed on some scale within the series, The Mandalorian. Um, yeah. 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 <laughs> Um, I invoke his name a lot, Joseph Grimshaw. He's so insightful. That's why I, you know, I love working at Force Center. He's, he keeps pointing out that Werner Herzog's like, it's a shame what happened to I your know. people. So what happened? We I might know. get that answer. And Bo-Katan, I, I still believe, is roaming around the galaxy. Do you want to see the Darksaber in live action? Yes, of course I do. Some point? Yeah, come on. It's a dope lightsaber. It's dope. I, I would love to see that. I mean, can we see, like you just said, are we going to see a Bo-Katan... Are we going to see maybe even a Sabine Wren? What? I mean, no. <laughs> it's not like Katie Sackhoff hasn't been on great television shows before. That's there true. You know? There you go. Never know. We'll see where all that Mandalore goes. That's the great story because there's a lot of great legend stuff, a lot of weird legend stuff, but a lot of it, you know, could yeah. uh, Filoni pulls a lot of it back. Lucas himself is the one who kind of went in and said, you know, yeah, here's yeah. what I got going on. I know that upset a lot of people. I understand because, like, what is it, uh, Karen uh, Tavis, Travis, Travis yeah. uh, for the Republic Commando series, their language, yeah. a lot of things were established there. doesn't mean it can't be pulled back. We could see dinosaurs, Roman the TV screens for Mandalore here. Yeah, so yep, that's that's what everybody. Uh, we are <laughs> close to wrapping up here, but I do want to. We're going to have uh, a lot of time on shows going forward to look into the books, the comics, games, Jedi Fallen Order coming out soon. In fact, Emma's got. Uh, I am. I'm repping BD One today. Yeah. He's on my pin. I got him at Star Wars Celebration. The I cutest little droid. And as this great uh, logo behind us, this picture here, uh, toys too. Toys are very important to Star Wars, and something we'll be addressing. Even more here in fun ways and uh, and hopefully insightful ways coming down. I do want to address Resistance Reborn. It is out. A lot of people are, are, are looking at it. I've had a chance to read it. We've got the cover without the surprise character. I think a lot of people know who that character is, mm. but there's a lot of great returns. Uh, Rebecca Roanhorse uh, wrote this novel. It's one of the shorter new canon novels, and she packs so much story into it. Not going to full spoiler review here, but it is a great summary of the last four years 
summary maybe is not the right word. It's, 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 it takes the last four years of new canon material, comics, books, video games, characters you love, Zay Versi, uh, Versio, uh, Shriv, y- uh, Yendor. Uh, we got the, uh, a lot of the characters from the Poe Dameron comic. Nora Wexley, Snap's mom. And, of course, uh, the one a lot of people talking about, Wedge Antilles has been around. He's back. And there's some other surprises from the original trilogy. Some characters <laughs> that pop up that make you go, no way, they're back. It's a fascinating story that does set up where we're going into Last Jedi, but doesn't give you all the answers. The Resistance needs to be reborn indeed, but we don't necessarily have the result of that yet. It's just laying groundwork for getting ships, getting help. Leia's very interested in leaders, not just fighters. She wants strategists, military minds, a lot of uh, new kind of uh, leadership to help her first to plan how they do it here. They Rose is there, Finn's there, Poe's there, Ray's there, but you focus mostly on Poe and Leia in terms of those main characters and then go into a lot of other characters. Uh, Rose and Ray, Finn's there as well, but it's not told from their story. There's some insight into Ray, her mindset that's keeping in line with a lot of the new Star Wars canon released in the last few months. So it's uh, a fascinating tale. We're going to dive into it a little bit more, but also just want to say books and comics, uh, not forgotten here at Jedi Council. We're going to take some dives, uh, in, uh, deep dives into those as well. Where were you guys right now, recent readings in, in all of new canon? Have you had a chance to, where are you at with the books? I think the last book that I had a chance to read, because I had a copy of it when I was like flying to Star Wars Celebration and nothing new to play on my Switch, uh, was Master and Apprentice, which I loved. Yes, Master Apprentice is Cloudy right. Gray's fourth, yeah. Loved, I just, Claudia Gray, she can do no wrong. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to catch up on Resistance Reborn. I'm also catching up on the Vader comics. Oh, yes. the Vader well, comics are great. They're great. They're great. So that's kind of where I'm at. And I'm still playing Battlefront 2. So. <laughs> as, as am I. The, the, the co-op mode's Updates. great. What? Felucia. Uh, they got those what? little apartments you can live in yep. on Felucia. I uh, absolutely love just, it there. Just waiting for that fallen order. We are almost so out of here. I think we should take one question because we're one. still going to yeah. take your questions. That's never going away. You're part of our fan alliance. Uh, and I'm going to give you the choice here of a question you oh, want us to address here today. Okie uh, Here we go. Uh, I picked one out earlier. Yeah. Here it is. Uh, this comes from Mikey Nance at Nancer10. Hashtag Collider Jedi Council. If the Rebellion would not have destroyed the first Death Star, do you think the Empire would still have made a second Death Star? Ooh, love those kind of what-if questions. Yeah. Um, Andres, where do you go? I-, I like the idea of, like, what's better than one planet destroyer? <laughs> Two planet destroyers. Yeah. Uh, we can get double the destruction. Uh, I don't know. I feel like... Okay, this is me being a real nerd. I feel like that's too much of a push production-wise, too much of an investment. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they wouldn't uh, have I, uh, uh, expended the resources exactly. on making a second one like, if they didn't have to. Repairs is one thing where you're like, <laughs> we lost you know, our mm-hmm. favorite car. Like, Let's try and make a new car. But it's like we don't have those resources <laughs> available because that's too much money. Yeah. Let's yeah. just you know, use the one we have and call it a day. So I think one would have been fine. <laughs> they would have, they would have uh, said, okay. All right. Yeah. All right, Emma? Uh, I think that they are uh, arrogant enough to have made a second one just to show off yeah. how horrible and powerful they were to kind of just like show that they really mean business. They're going to yeah. make a second Death Star regardless. Can I counter and say, what if they, what if they made like a faux one? Like oh. like a like we have another we have three more and it's, it's just BS it's not it's real. Just, I don't 
it's just, to, it's just like a gift shop? Yeah. No, but it's just to <laughs> almost <laughs> amplify their know, fear in the gallery. I know yeah. what you're saying, but I feel like that's more of like a rebel tactic sure. of we're going to sure. pretend like we have this thing to try yeah. to scare you, whereas the Empire yeah. is very literal. I like sure. that idea. I, I do like the idea that much like, hey, I have uh, – I have my iPhone uh, 8 or 9 or 11 now, and already they're designing iPhones 12 and 13s. Mm-hmm. And I think that they could have, you know, it's it's a weird wrinkle in canon that George created for us. Uh, the first one took 20 years, thanks to Revenge of the Sith. We know they were starting it. Uh, Attack of Clones, the plans are there. And then all of a sudden they got one like three years later. So They clearly have like a good um, a good production yeah. like assembly they're line like, in place. It's, it's, you know, you got to learn. You took a long time, trial and error, Krennic messes up, whatever. And then they roll one out right away. I think there might have been one. I think they already were hedging their bets. Not that yeah. it was going to be destroyed, but like maybe one for each sector of the galaxy. Mm. Good. I don't know. I don't know. Good question, go. Mikey. If you guys have a question for us, you can reach out on Twitter using the hashtag Collider Jedi Council. Usually Tuesday or Wednesday, our producer Mark Riley puts out a call for questions. Get creative with your questions. Uh, I know there's a lot of theories and a lot of like, hey, what are we going to see in nine? We want those still. But get creative. Have fun. Make us think. Challenge us. Uh, we want to just explore all aspects of the Star Wars galaxy and the stories, and your questions help us do that. We are out of here today. I am so excited to get this uh, launched off. On a day, which, by the way, we had so, uh, this, uh, there's uh, behind-the-scenes stuff where there's a little less cameras than normal. Uh, <laughs> there's uh, why we're sitting in the way we are. Uh, so this is going to be a... a um, a, a growth uh, in progress type of show as we get to uh, the really the final stages of the Skywalker saga. It's an exciting time, so I'm glad you're all here for Collider Jedi yes. Council. Andres Cabrera, thank you so much for thank joining for the team. Me. Tell them yes. where they can find you and what you're working on. You can find me on Twitter at Squad Leader Ace as well as Instagram at Squad Leader Ace and my YouTube channel with uh, RB3, Robert Butler III. We have a YouTube channel. It's called First Cut where we talk about film and movies and reviews and my podcast, for the meaning of podcast. Emma Fife. I am all over the internet wherever Emma Fife's are sold. At my name, Emma Fife. I've got a website, emmafife.com, where I try to keep it updated with all my latest goings-ons. Uh, you can see me on SJU on Fridays over at Fandom Entertainment, Screen Junkies Universe. So that's live at 11 a.m. Pacific time. Uh, I also have another announcement about a show I'm doing coming up very soon. I think maybe sometime tomorrow or Monday we'll, I'll be able to talk about it. I know about that one. Ken does know about that because one. Because that one caused my trip to Galaxy's Edge to be canceled. <laughs> but I'm happy for all involved. Uh, for me, I'm at Ken Napsack. You can go to KenNapsack.com for information on uh, a lot of things like my book, Why We Love Star Wars, available in audiobook form as well as wherever you buy books. Uh, comedy, me and Mark Ellis will be in Washington, D.C. Next weekend, two shows at the Comedy Loft on November 16th. Go to MarkEllisLive.net for tickets or KenNapsack.com for information. I want to do a shout-out to some friends of the show who will be on the show eventually uh alex backus steve and alex do black series rebels and alex backus released his first comic book i have a special edition numbered uh, edition the comic's called infinite infinite bros excuse me go to infinitebros.com for more information on where to get it very proud of my buddy alex for putting something creative out in the world as alex says don't get mad get rad and which is uh, what we think all of you are here today so for adam smith in the booth who i don't even think is still there i think he went and got a sandwich uh mark riley our producer who put a lot of this show together today and all of you uh, thank you very much for the uh show here today we appreciate it that's it may the force be with you always napa know-how
This month, Napa's got all kinds of motor oil deals that can save you some serious cash. Like a five-quart jug of Napa Full Synthetic Motor Oil for just $16.49. With savings like that, you may start feeling like a VIP. But don't let it go to your head. These oil deals are for everyone. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. General States pricing. Sales price does not include applicable state local taxes or recycling fees. Offer ends 831.20. It's that little chico pitbull, Mr. 305, better said Mr. Worldwide. And I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, From Negative to Positive. Brought to you by my friends over at State Farm. I believe that to have success, you got to play the game. So that the game doesn't play you. You know, the biggest risk you take is not taking one. It's very important that you make sure that you make the most out of your money, especially when it comes to insurance. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates. They have great agents standing by helping you personalize your coverage. All this is backed up by award-winning, easy-to-use technology. It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. 